BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Tribune Audio Network. Head in the clouds, exploring weather and why. And now, here's your host, the man who knows that behind every cloud is another cloud. Meteorologist Andrew Stutsky. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Head in the Clouds. And kind of like our previous episode that we just had, I get another special guest, except this time it's kind of a double whammy of a special guest. I've never had two guests on before, so this is a first for me. But we actually have a couple of the News 8 Storm Chasers uh, joining us for this particular podcast. We have Corey Marshall and Ethan Schisler. I said it correctly. Yes. I'm so horrible with last names. I want to thank you both for joining me for this podcast. Uh, We're going to talk about what else? Weather, of course. Uh, Some storm chasing that you guys do. So I'm going to start with Corey uh, because we've heard your name a lot. Uh, especially with some of the work that we've done with you this year uh, with the Beast. We've, we've met a couple of times uh, and kind of poked around there. So tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, uh, kind of how you got started in the storm chasing the field here. Uh, <clears throat> I'm from the Galesburg, Illinois area. Um, as far as getting started, uh, one day I just decided that, uh, you know, it would be worthwhile to start chasing storms. And uh, back in 2014, that's what I did. Although when I first started out, I think I was more of a, just a storm spotter. I would basically drive to where I thought the storms would uh, eventually end up. And uh, it wasn't until about August 31st of that year uh, that I went over to southwest Iowa and had my first chase around the Denison area. Uh, they had a little bit of a tornado warning over there, and uh, I got... At the time, all I had on me was just an iPhone 4, so I had to use a cell phone for pictures. Uh, Nowadays, I got an actual camera, an actual radar, an actual video uh, video camera, so uh, I've been chasing since 2014. So it's been a while. Yes, And you're from Galesburg, so a local local guy. Um, Would you say you had an interest in weather since a young age? Are you one of those people like a lot of meteorologists, people in that community are? Uh, I've, I've always had an interest, uh, to be honest with you, when I was a kid, I was kind of terrified of storms at first. Uh, that passion eventually evolved. The older I got, uh, the more curious of the nature of storms I got. Uh, uh, back in uh, fourth or fifth grade is when I experienced my first windstorm. And uh, that was early in the morning, around 7, 8 in the morning. Uh, I was actually on my way to band practice. Oh, my, wow. My, my grandpa uh, and I uh, were up at Altona, and the skies just turned almost almost pitch black. Wow. So. Yeah, I think a lot of us have that story of either being frightened by the storms or, or being simply fascinated by them. Ethan, you probably have a... A uh, very similar experience, I'd imagine, as to what kind of piqued your interest in weather. Yep, I have a pretty similar experience. Uh, my first uh, s- storm spotting experience was in 2003 with my dad. Uh, my first tornado was on May 30th, 2004, Memorial Day weekend, part of a large severe weather outbreak in the Midwest. Uh, we were on a camping trip, and a storm or a tornado passed just to our south, and uh, we got kind of the RFD, the rear flanking downdraft of the storm that wraps around the backside of the tornado, mm-hmm. and. 70 80 mile an hour winds and uh that's kind of what 
really sparked my passion into weather, and I also saw the uh, Utica tornado on t live on TV wow. when it uh, went through. I didn't see it in person, but I seen it on TV, and uh, after that, I knew that was something that I had to do, and I, you know, I wanted to see tornadoes in person and uh, kind of get that experience, and uh, I've been doing it ever since. So that's incredible, and, and on that front, it's kind of an icebreaker of a question for both of you. Who's seen the most tornadoes since you guys have been storm chasing? Uh, I think Ethan takes the cake on that one. <laughs> how many have you logged now personally? Um, I don't know exactly how many. It's probably around 100 maybe or wow. so. Uh, I've been doing it for quite a few years, so I don't keep uh, keep an exact count. Uh, you know, t tornadoes are kind of an, an enigma that, uh, you know, Mother Nature doesn't exactly determine where one ends and mm -hmm. the other one begins. So, uh um, it's kind of difficult to count tornadoes, you know, but uh, I'd say, you know, in that in that ballpark of somewhere. So, And if you don't mind me asking, how old are you? I am 24 currently. Wow, and you've already seen that many. That's incredible. Yep. A lot of us are jealous right now, <laughs> myself included, because I'm 33 and I've only seen one um, in real life. So I've, I've got a lot of catching up to do. Um, now obviously, you both do a lot of chasing together, which is awesome. Um, I think pairing up and doing it in teams is is probably the way to go. You get a lot more eyes on the storm. So did you, do you find that kind of with your friends that you know in the storm chasing community, do they like to go solo or do they like the team having another person in the car? What have you guys seen when you're in the field? Personally, I prefer to have uh, Ethan with me mm -hmm. whenever I can. Uh, I'm not against having to do it solo either because, you know, I, I still see a lot of fantastic storms out there. Um, but it, it's better and it's more safer to have a second set of eyes out there Absolutely. on everything. Yeah, the more eyes, the better. Yep, my myself, you know, I prefer you know teams of two or two or three. Uh, you got Corey here that's you know been chasing with me for a number of years, and also my friend Colby from Galesburg, uh, Illinois. Uh, we we kind of started chasing together back in 2011, and uh, been chasing ever ever since. You know, uh, so um, we got a few other friends in the chaser community that chase with us as well. So uh, you know, we prefer teams of two or three. It cuts down on the cost of the chase, especially if you're going out of state. You know, gas prices where they set these days. Um, you get two or three people in the vehicle, you cut, you know, kind of split the hotel costs, split the gas costs, and it make, makes things a little more affordable. And, you know, Corey and I do the same thing, you know, split, split the costs. And uh, we made a, a two-day trip down to Oklahoma the, earlier this spring, and we're able to basically uh, basically drive down there and back in, what, 60, 70 bucks? Something like that. Yeah, so wow. it was a pretty cheap trip. So And his car gets about 30-some miles per gallon, mm -hmm. so... Uh, makes things pretty affordable. Well, yeah, no, I always joke with people that, you know, a chasecation is what we call it, a storm-chasing vacation. It's probably one of the most inexpensive vacations you could take, especially mm -hmm. if you're doing it as yep. a group, but come back with something so memorable, whether it be pictures or video, or just the experience itself, that adrenaline rush, if you will, while you're out chasing. I'm sure you guys probably agree with that, too. Yep, yep. yep. Looking at kind of at the the other end of storm chasing, um, what's been the most memorable experience that you've had? Oh boy! Kind of whether it be the scariest or like wow, that was really cool. Uh, for me, it would be July sixteenth, twenty fifteen. That was my very first solo chase. Uh, that was the day Cameron and Mammoth got hit uh, by tornado. Um, for me, I was on the only one on Highway thirty four. Once I saw him and Colby turn off, uh, and. I, I had to go out and hit by debris or something because my back window blew out. And then in that moment for me, it just things got so surreal that, uh, you know, it, it's a fun hobby, but it's also very dangerous. Um, so I, after that point, I kind of just pulled off to the side. Uh, cop did eventually pull up next to me and 
asked if I could help them block off the road for a little while and you know try to turn vehicles around because there was debris all over the road. Um, uh, that same storm actually dropped a lot of heavy rain, and wow. on the way home, I had to take the back roads home, and I saw a few cars in ditches that had been swept away by flood water. So. Wow. And we certainly see a lot of that in this area, too. It's not just tornadoes and hail and wind, but flooding, certainly, as we know, especially from this year, is a big factor. Um, what about you, Ethan? What was your most memorable um, experience, would I've, you say? I've got a few couple couple that I, you know, I'd probably bring up. You know, they pretty close close in memor, you know, memorabilia as far as being memorable. Um, I'd say the f- number one for me would be the twin tornadoes back in 2014 in uh, Pilgrim, Nebraska. Uh, me and my friend uh, Aaron Rigsby out of Ohio were able to you know, chase that day, team up and chase that day, and uh, we were see- seeing numerous tornadoes, including two EF4s. Uh, one of them went through the town, and uh, both of them were on the ground for about 30 minutes and simultaneously, and something that you don't see very often, let alone two EF4s. You know, they kind of crisscrossed paths, uh, and then multiple other tornadoes developed into that same storm, and then uh, another experience you know, I ch- share with Corey as well as uh, Colby and I were able to team up on the storm outside of uh, the track from Burlington, Iowa, all the way to Galesburg and dropped several tornadoes on July 16, 2015, and including the one that went through Cameron. And we were the first to pull up on scene in, in Cameron. And, you know, the, the level of destruction, you know, that you see from these storms is just incredible. And it's also very sad to see, you know, it affects a lot of people and it's, you know, makes makes what we do very sobering you know it brings a kind of that you know s- s- sobering you know level to things that you know you don't you don't want to see a lot of see a lot of destruction and you know it really keeps things in check as far as uh, how strong these storms are absolutely and i'm glad you brought that point up because i think that's why a lot of folks not only in the storm chasing community and the storm spotting community but also in the meteorological community that is why we do what we do Um, even though you're going to see those things the hope is that somebody out there somewhere is on these storms ahead of time watching them relaying this critical information whether it be to the national weather service or to media to give kind of that ground truth as to what's going on so that you know when these types of situations hit those hometowns you don't have the people that have died unfortunately or people that are severely injured they get enough warning time um, that they're allowed to kind of take appropriate shelter. So you guys play a, a critical role in all of that. It's not just, you know, going out, as I'm sure you guys know, just for a, a fun time or whatnot. Mm-hmm. There actually is some work and some serious stuff that goes on beyond this. Um, what would you say has been the farthest you've gone for a chase? How far? Uh, for me this year, uh, it's either a tie between I went to uh, uh, Mississippi and then I went to southwest Oklahoma. Um, I, in terms of that, I think the drive to Mississippi might win on that. That seemed like it was almost, almost what, eight, eight, nine hour drive? Yeah, about eight or nine hours. That's a haul. Yes, so. it is. And we left, I want to say we left around 3.30 in the morning that day, and wow. then we got back almost 1 a.m. that night. Yeah, so it was a 24-hour trip. Oh, my so. gosh. So uh, for me, uh Depending on how you d- determine, you know, length, uh, the furthest I've gone lengthwise is uh, southern Florida for Hurricane Irma in 2017. Colby and I teamed up and flew down there and uh, flew back. Uh, we were down there for probably about a week, and then we flew back, you know, lost power for about a week. And, uh, you know, we that was a very surreal experience. As far as driving, another hurricane, Hurricane Florence, and last year, we drove about 16 hours to Wilmington, North Carolina, where we st- set up for several days and were, were able to experience the landfall of Hurricane Florence. So uh, 
you know, while not, you know, tornadoes, they were both uh, probably the lengthiest chase experiences that I've had, you know, privilege to be a part of. Yeah, and I can't can't help but wonder, you know, the hurricane's got to be such a unique experience. Because when we talk about a tornado, we're talking about a very short-term event, maybe a few minutes, if that, that you're going to be impacted. But a hurricane, you know, you're sitting in that puppy for hours and hours. And, you know, how was that experience? Obviously, you've seen tornadoes, but how was that experience in a hurricane that you were dealing with those conditions for hours on end? Uh, to me, it doesn't even compare. Uh, my personal favorite storms to chase are hurricanes. Uh, our first hurricane was Irma in 2017, and after we experienced that, I knew we had to experience more of it. Just getting those winds well over 100 mile an hour for, you know, one or two hours straight is just, it's just a surreal experience. Just hearing the wind, the roar. Occasionally you'll get tornadoes and hurricanes, but they're not visible. Uh, you kind of just station up in one location and you wait for it to pass and you get in the eye of it and it, things clear out. You get Sometimes you get sunny skies, sometimes you know it's cloud-filled, but a lot of times it's that calm that's in the eye and you just, it's, it's just, that, just that experience that you know you've, you've nailed the forecast, you've, you've driven that distance and you've, you've succeeded. But also there is also the destruction and the devastation these storms cause that we don't want to see when, you know, we're, we're there and, you know, we're able sometimes to help people out and, you know, that are in that situation. So, and I think, you know, as you were saying that, uh, by, you know, by traveling these distances and going to these places, you know, we're able to get, you know, help get warnings out and such. So it also, you know, is part of it too. Right. And while you were in the midst of this storm, did you feel any physical impacts? I know a lot of people say they can feel the pressure change um, in their ears or kind of in their head. Did you experience any of that at all? Or uh, A little bit in Irma. We had pressure, if people are familiar in millibars, down to around 938 millibars, which is very, very low pressure. Yes. Very, very low pressure. So a little bit, you know, I experienced it a little bit. You know, my ears are prone to ch- pressure changes. Uh, Florence, I didn't experience it as much because it was a very slow-moving storm. It uh, came on shore very, very slow. It took probably 18 hours for this thing to come on shore, and it just it it just took its time. And then when it came on shore, it just stalled out. And uh, areas of North Carolina got you know 40, 50 inches of rain, you know, which you know, is a huge amount of rain. So yeah. yeah, that is a lot of rain. Did you have any storm surge with this, or were you far enough? Um, there was a little bit of storm surge on both of them, but, uh, we didn't experience a whole lot of storms, storm surge with the, with, with them. Uh, I'm sure there, there was a lot of storm surge with Florence further downstream on like uh, Cape Lookout, North Carolina, but we were more in Wilmington, uh, in the, in the eye wall. So we didn't have a ton of storm surge. There was quite a bit of flooding, but, uh, not a lot of like storm surge, more inland flooding. So. And, and that's probably one of the biggest things I would worry about if I was in a hurricane because that storm surge especially can be so unpredictable uh, at times. And people think I'm crazy because I've said I wanted to be in a hurricane. It is one of those experiences, especially if you're a weather geek or weather nerd like I am, and I'm sure you guys know. It's just one of those things that you really want to experience. You don't want anybody killed. You don't want you know severe damage or or anything like that. But as just being a follower of weather you know, just gives you that extra experience to say, you've been through something like that and it, it kind of makes you more aware of, of just how powerful um, those type of events are. So I'm glad you were able to talk to that. Cause I really don't get to talk to many people that have been in hurricanes, uh, especially in the Midwest. Cause we You're obviously welcome. don't get them here. Yeah. <laughs> so, and a lot of us are thankful for that. That is for sure. Um, kind of another, another question I can throw you at, And sometimes it opens up a can of worms. Cause I know it's a, it's a sensitive topic in the chasing community. It's become a, a more ever popular, increasing thing for people to do. 
Um, and I know we've run into problems with this where we have people, so many people just converging on these areas. Um, we saw it this year with the high risk um, down in Oklahoma and parts of Kansas and Texas, just a lot of people all converging on one spot and road networks getting clogged, people driving erratically, cutting people off. What kind of, have you guys dealt, first of all, run into that? when you've been out and about, have you had an experience with that? And has it gotten worse over the years? Um, I Back on March 13th of 2015, um, when we were chasing near the Good Hope area, uh, I ran into a little bit of a chaser convergence. It wasn't anything like what I saw this year on May 20th in Oklahoma. Uh, I, I, I've seen hundreds and hundreds of vehicles, storm chasers, and weather enthusiasts, maybe even uh, spotters, out on the roads. Um, uh, we were going, I'd say, 15, 20 miles an hour at times. Wow. Uh, there was a few accidents even um, out there. And uh, a few days later, I happened to watch a video of a Dow or a Doppler on wheels being shown uh, uh, passing traffic that afternoon, um, which is a pretty serious thing for them. They, they, uh, I guarantee they faced a lot of backlash for that. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, definitely, if you're doing that kind of driving. Um, what do you recommend or say to people, say, I like to call them kind of the, the mom-and-pop chasers. They don't have the, the knowledge, but they have the knowledge enough to at least to get like a weather app on their phone and just kind of go out and mosey around and say, oh, let's see if we can see something. What would you tell the people that may not have the proper training that are thinking about going to do something like that? Um, I'd say on these big high-risk type mm-hmm. days, I'd say probably not a good idea to go out. You know, storms are – they get these sheer instability parameters that are coming together – like that on the like they did on May 20th you, or even if you just get one storm to form it's not a good idea to go out if you especially if you don't know what you're, what you're doing or what's how storms work and how tornadoes work i'd say the best thing to do is do research first on how storms work you know on how to chase storms how to spot storms properly go to a weather weather service uh, oriented spotter training class you know get yourself familiarized with all the you know all the weather weather terms and how you know how things work i'd say that's probably number one before you go out and actually put yourself out there you don't want to put yourself in harm's way if you don't have to yes very well said because you you don't need to be a degreed meteorologist to go out and be a storm chaser be safe and be successful you just need to be someone that's got enough knowledge of how the basics of a storm works and a whole lot of common sense yeah. i think is how you you put it quite uh, quite easily there what are some of the options and i know because i know you guys have been through this i've been through it too what are some of the options for people that are interested in maybe doing a little storm chasing maybe they're saying you know i'd be interested in being a storm chaser or a storm spotter where's the best way for them to start I, again i'd start with the uh, national weather service uh spotter classes um i'd, I'd read up uh, a little bit too uh for me there was no greater resource available than to actually experience my first chase and that's what i did with ethan and colby is i went out a few times too to learn the ropes learn you know uh how storms work and, 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 you know, the best position to be at on when you're on a storm. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I definitely learn as much as you can before you actually decide to go out and about and do it yourself because if you don't, do, if you don't know anything about how things work, uh, you're basically asking yourself for a heap load of trouble. Oh, absolutely. And I'm sure you can get into it quickly. Yeah, def- definitely. Uh, things can change very quickly. Storms are very dynamic things, you know, thunderstorms are. Especially on these days when you're high high shear and instability parameters and uh, come together, you know things can change very very rapidly. Uh, tornadoes can form within seconds. You know, almost 
every big tornado I've seen, the, the storm goes from being very benign, not looking like it's going to do much, to you know producing a strong tornado within you know a couple minutes. And you know if you're in a position where you're underneath the storm or you're in a bad position, you can find yourself in a lot of trouble really, really fast. And uh, some of these tornadoes contain winds, you know, 150, 200 miles an hour. And, you know, you're in a vehicle that can roll a vehicle. You can have flying debris come at you, mm -hmm. especially if you're in a really bad position. It's just, it's you want to know what you're doing before you go out there. And again, safety's number one priority. You don't want to find yourself in that position where you're you're going to be in trouble. Right. And you almost have to treat storms as a living, breathing creature that do have minds of their yeah. own. Even though yeah. physically it's just a giant lob of water vapor. Um, and it looks very intimidating, of course. Like you said, you know, they, these storms can change motions, directions. They can intensify, um, re-intensify, decrease in intensity. They really do have a mind of their own, and that's why it's important that you have some of that background knowledge as to what you should be looking for and what you're looking at. Because, I mean, even on a severe weather day here in the Quad Cities, we'll get a lot of viewers that send us pictures of clouds, and it's like, Here's a tornado, uh, for example, and it's like, well, not quite. You know, it's a, it's a different kind of cloud. Thanks for sending it in, but, you know, there's a lot of misinformation out there. And and social media, of course, makes it so easy for this stuff to get spread. It's, it's kind of crazy. You see the, the storm pictures, the one that said, you know, here's Hurricane Rita coming ashore, Hurricane Katrina, and in reality, it's a supercell that was in the Midwest somewhere. Yeah. So there's a lot of misinformation. So it's it's really worth your time to check out, like you said, one of these spotter classes. They're totally free. And that in, in enough should be an encouragement for you to go because these are the experts from the National Weather Service coming down to your hometown in most instances. They try to get to at least one city in each county every year to hold these free classes. And they've got slides. They've got pictures of what you need to look for. A lot of them even have um, access to these online learning modules that they can give you too so you can get a lot of information that way. And another thing, you know, you might want to, you know, consider is if, if you're, you're interested in weather, you know, they, uh, you know, you, you go to these websites, you know, you, a lot of misinformation out there, as Andrew said, uh, you know, you, you look at a website, you know, .gov or .edu yep. after the, the, you know, the, the website name is a, it's a great way to know what quality information you're getting. And a weather service even has uh, what they call comment modules. If you yes. want to search that in Google, a uh, great way to learn information and learn it quick. You know, it's, you know, it's a very educational-oriented tool. Uh, it even has a quiz at the end of it where you can you can learn learn information. And they only take a couple hours to complete, and you can really build your knowledge base. I've gone through several of them myself. So. I have as well. It's, it's funny you mention that because even at Northern, we used a lot of the Comet modules for some of our learning. And, it, and it's another free resource that's out there that you can utilize and even take a quiz, like you said, and see how you mm -hmm. scored and yep. see where you need to improve on if you need to do some of that. I've got a couple more questions in here before we run out of time. Uh, technology in weather and storm chasing specifically is just blowing up like crazy. You know, before you couldn't get Doppler radar on your phone. Now not only can you get Doppler radar on your phone, you can get models. You can get access to the high resolution level two data, which I think has really improved not only the safety aspect of it, especially for those like yourself that are knowledgeable in the field, but really improved the accuracy as to where you need to be at a certain time for a specific storm. Is that what you guys have found? Like when you first started chasing, did you have access to the amount of data that you have today at, our, at your disposal or was it way different? Uh, it, for me, it's definitely gotten better. When I first started, I didn't know how to read models as well as I do today. Um, Usually what I do, the first thing I do in the morning and the last thing I do at night is check check the weather because the, the models change almost every six hours. Oh, absolutely. So um, I also read uh, 
certain areas of the National Weather Service's AFDs, which is their area forecast discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as radar goes, uh, I use an app on my phone and my uh, iPad uh, called Radar Scope. Uh, it only costs ten dollars to download, at, but uh, and that's a year, I think, right? Yeah, ten dollars a year. Ten dollars a year yeah. if you get uh, tier one. Mm-hmm. Tier one, otherwise, it's just ten dollars to download. Um, and it shows you where storms are. It shows you uh, tornado warnings, severe thunderstorm warnings. Uh, I, I assume at some point they're going to start showing snowstorm warnings because I've heard like snowstorm yes, warnings are those are, are coming this winter. Coming, yep. Uh, so I don't know if it'll show that or not, um, but it, uh, sh- it even shows you where special marine warnings are. It shows you live reports, uh, LSR reports uh, from the National Weather Service that they get from people too. So yeah, which are your local storm reports? In case nobody knows what the what the LSR abbreviation is, yeah, those are those are the reports that the public sends in our spotters. Um, it, it is a really neat app, very neat app. Yep, yep. and I, I'd say for for me uh, when I. We first started going out spotting. The only thing we had was a road map and uh, NOAA weather radio. So <laughs> not a whole lot of technology. And then as the years progressed, you know, you got radar on your cell phones and mm-hmm. smartphones started coming into the picture in the, you know, late 2000s, early 2010s. And now we have almost an entire computer on our in our pockets. So it's it's amazing how far technology's come. It is, and it's going to be incredible to watch what happens, say, even the next 10, 15 years. Yep. Because already we're planning, you know, to phase out the Doppler radar eventually by 2030 or something like that. And we're going to have these mini Dopplers on cell phone towers. And the, I think the whole weather realm of technology, anyway, is going to get crazy probably in the next 10 years. So kind of agree. A, a great time to be alive in the weather community to see all of this change. Any final thoughts from you guys before we, we wrap up this podcast, um, whether it be... Uh, your, your thoughts on the chasing, your thoughts on how it is to work with us at, here at WQAD. I know sometimes James, Morgan, Eric, myself, we can be a little bit of a handful. Uh, but we surely appreciate you guys working with us, that is for sure. I think it's a it's a privilege to be able to work with a local station and uh, be able to work with you guys. It's uh, you know a privilege to be able to bring uh, weather weather knowledge from out in the field to the you know to local coverage and to be able to help people out and uh, get send those live reports in and. Uh, you know whether whether we're on air or not. You know it's it's definitely a privilege, I think, and an honor. So, oh well, thank you. It's, it's an honor to have both of you here as well, because um, yeah, exactly like you said, ground truth is so critical uh, when it comes to severe weather events, especially here. We have radar, yeah. which is great, but you're not going to see everything on yeah, radar Dopp- as we've seen. Doppler radar only goes to about you know you get that radar scan at five six thousand feet up, and everything that's happening with the tornado is happening at ground level. So as you said, ground truth definitely very important and that's where you guys come in so we're going to look forward to working with you guys it's been so quiet around here we have not had much in the way of severe weather lately it's been fairly isolated but if we pick things up in the fall like we could you know it's kind of our second severe weather season here in the quad cities um i'm sure we'll be teaming up together we'll have a lot of information that we'll be sharing back and forth and of course uh, tracking storms that's what we do here at wqad news 8 so Corey. Ethan, thank you very much, gentlemen, for You're coming welcome. in. Thank you for having us. We thank appreciate it us. very much. You bet. We'll have you anytime. I always love to talk weather. Any excuse I can get to do that. Uh, thank you so much for tuning into our Head in the Clouds podcast. As always, if you have any ideas for future episodes, we have our content information on our webpage at wqad.com. This has been meteorologist Andrew Stutsky with WQAD News 8.